Well, thank you, children. Wasn't that nice? We're going to take up our offering. Thank you. If I could have those come forward, please, that are going to assist with the offering. If you're a guest visiting with us for the first time, in the seat somewhere in front of you, you should find three items. There's an offering envelope, a prayer request card, and a communication card. If you're a guest visiting with us for the first time, we ask that you would fill out a communication card for us. Drop it in the offering as it goes by in a minute. I promise you we won't bug you. We just, I just like to send you a letter and thank you for your visit. You can put your tithes, your offerings in the envelope. You can give online. Um, whatever fits you. And if you have a prayer request, we love to pray for you. I pray and we have a prayer team. So if you have a private prayer request right on there, there's a box. You just check, check private, put your name on there. Let me know what your prayer is. If you want the team to pray for you, just check off. I would like others to pray for me also. And again, just put that in the offering as it goes by. So let's pray for our offering and we'll take that up now. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks. I thank you for this Palm Sunday. I thank you for this opportunity to come and celebrate Jesus Christ. And as we come, Father, we come in obedience to you. We offer up to you in obedience our treasures, those things that you have entrusted us with. So, Father, I pray as we give this morning, we give faithfully, we give obediently, and that we give joyfully. Father, let your holy presence just fill us now as we seek to see you in Scripture and in the faces of the people around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. not doing a very good job with the communications equipment this morning. I do apologize. I'm a little distracted. Palm Sunday, the end of our journey to Jerusalem, the beginning of what they call Passion Week. You ever been passionate about something? I mean, people get passionate about all kinds of things, don't they? But sports, I think, is the thing that people get most passionate about. I mean, you go to any sports stadium and it's filled with people acting in a manner that they normally wouldn't act in on any other day and um it kind of gets gets crazy my passion outside of jesus is my soccer team plymouth Argyle, and the reason i got this and this this morning right now they are playing in their first ever cup final 127 years we've been waiting to be in a cup final they're losing for nothing. <laughs> another 127 years time, we'll get to another one. We've been waiting for glory for 127 years. They were losing two nothing after 10 minutes. But there you go. But more importantly, today is the day that we remember how the people passionately greeted Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem. And it was the beginning of the week, as I said, called the Passion Week. Some people call it Holy Week. And it's called Passion Week for two reasons. Number one, passion, because Jesus was passionate about his mission. His mission to redeem mankind and reconnect us to our Father in heaven. Sin had separated us from... The, the Bible says that God cannot look upon sin. 
We all have sinned. And Jesus came. His mission, his primary mission on earth was to go to the cross, to be sacrificed, perfect, and have victory over death and have victory over sin so that whoever trusts in him would get reunited with Jesus, with with God. And he was absolutely passionate about that. The second reason that it's called Passion Week comes from the, the, um, the Latin word passio, which means to endure suffering. And it was a week of suffering for Jesus. He suffered in his passion. You know, for three years, he had kind of been avoiding this moment. Not because he was afraid of the moment, but it just wasn't his time. He told the people off when they, when they wanted to make him king. No, 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 no. And he would go away and hide, go up in the mountains and pray. But now the time has come. No more waiting. Now the time has come. And he rides into Jerusalem as a king, right up to the temple gates. must have been an incredible thing. It's an event that, that's recorded in all four of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. But before we get into it, I want to kind of set the scene here. The relationship that Jesus had with the people in Jerusalem isn't the same as the relationship he had with the people in Galilee. He lived up in Galilee, which was, I don't know, 100 or so miles north of Jerusalem. The people there had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. There was a pretty positive following in Galilee. Jesus only came down to Jerusalem for festivals. In Jerusalem, it was a very mixed reception. This was the the home of the church, the religious leaders, who didn't buy into who Jesus was. They didn't think he was of God. And that kind of, you know, seeped out into the people. So there were people in Jerusalem that were, yeah, Jesus. They heard all about the miracles. Yeah, who's, who's this Jesus guy? Could he be from God? There were people who were absolutely anti Jesus. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they wanted him dead. And then there were another group of people that were probably just not sure about this. Not sure about this Jesus guy. So it's a very different atmosphere in Jerusalem than it was back in Galilee. Now, not too long before Palm Sunday, Jesus had been in the winter. Jesus had already been in Jerusalem to celebrate Hanukkah. And there in the temple... While teaching, he professes himself as the son of God. That didn't go over very well. They were looking for ways to stone him. They wanted to arrest him and stone him. But he snuck away because it wasn't yet his time. He goes to an area on the other side of the Jordan to where John the Baptist first baptized him. He's been hanging out there for a little while. And all of those people are familiar with Jesus. Because what was John's purpose? He came to be the one who foretold the coming of the Messiah. Well, here's the Messiah. He's performing miracles. And the Bible says that he got lots of followers there on the other side of the Jordan. And then comes a very significant event that I'm going to touch on, but I'm not going to teach deeply. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. So I want to read little bits of this, but we're not going to study the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but it sets up What happens for Palm Sunday? So this is in John chapter 11. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. 
So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So he's on the other side of the Jordan there, not too, too far. They get the message. But when Jesus heard about this, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No. It happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now think about this. Lazarus' death is intentional because it's part of God's bigger plan. It's been preordained. This was already set in time at the beginning of creation that this would happen. It's not circumstantial or random. It has a purpose. It is intentional. Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened. It happened. This has happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from it. this it goes on so although jesus loved martha mary and lazarus he stayed where he was for the next two days so this is very intentional you're going to hear me use that word intentional today a lot finally he said to his disciples let's go back to judea but his disciples objected rabbi they said only a few days ago the people in judea were trying to stone you Are you going there again? Like, are you nuts, Jesus? Did you not notice what just, we just got out of there by the skin of our teeth. You want to go back? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better soon. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So somehow Jesus already knows Lazarus is dead. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come Let's go see him. Now, there are a ton of parallels between this event and one that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 9 with the blind man. Do you remember that one where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, why was this man born blind? Was he the sinner or or did his parents sin? And Jesus responded there, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So this is very similar Lazarus is dead so that the power of God would be seen in the sun. This man was blind so that the power of God would be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus talks about light in both of these passages. These events are intentional. That people may see the light and be saved the man was born blind so that people would see the light and be saved Lazarus dies so that people would see the light and be saved it is intentional it's on purpose it was set in stone at the beginning of time this will happen now 
There's another factor about the miraculous raising of Lazarus that, that is important to Palm Sunday and Passion Week, and that's the location. We go to the next slide, please. So if you could see that, Bethany is not very far from Jerusalem. It's a stone's throw from Jerusalem. And the, the blue line is the, tra- is the track that Jesus is going to take on this triumphant ride right into the temple. So Bethany, where, where Lazarus is dead, is just outside of Jerusalem. Now, somehow, someway, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are well-known in Jerusalem. They're popular people. So Jesus waits until Lazarus is dead because a whole bunch of people come out of Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha over the death of their brother Lazarus. Jesus wanted these people to be here. That's why Lazarus had to die. Carries on in verse 17. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. So this guy is stinking. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people, many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. So he tarries for two reasons. First, to make sure that he's dead, because he wants to do this miracle. Second, to make sure there are lots of people from Jerusalem to witness it. And then they're going to go back into Jerusalem and tell everybody what happened. Now, I'm not going to get into the rest of the miracle. I want to scooch down to verse 45. There's a Texan word for you. Scooch. Sorry, throw that in there. It says, many of the people who would, so he heals Lazarus. Lazarus gets up from the dead. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happened. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, I'm not sure the motivation. They could just be going to the Pharisees because they're like, this Jesus guy, he's the real deal. Or they could be going to to the Pharisees. I don't know about this Jesus guy. Like, where is he getting the power to do this? Is he from Satan? What's going on here? The leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. Now, that is such a sad statement. It's like we've seen the evidence, but we have chosen not to believe. We don't care about the evidence. Because it doesn't fit what they want to believe. I know so many people. You know, you get into conversations with people. And they've had stuff go on in their life. Even I've had conversations with people that say, you know, I think it's Jesus. I think that's Jesus. But when you kind of push them a little bit, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to become a follower of Jesus? I don't know. So what are you waiting for? They carry on. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So they had a personal and a political reason to get rid of Jesus. He's going to upset everything. Now, the people, all along, Jesus has been telling people, no, I'm, I'm not going to be your king. But the people want Jesus to be king. And Jesus breaks from his protocol here on, on Palm Sunday, and he comes riding in as a king. Now, I've done something very naughty now. It's a good English word for you. Very naughty. I read through all four of the Gospels, Palm Sunday, and they all 
there's a lot of, yep, 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 all matches. There's a lot of aspects. It's one's in Matthew, some's in Luke, some's in John, some's in Mark. So I've put a mishmash together. The mishmash. This is the gospel according to Mike. So I've kind of pulled all the bits and pieces from the four gospels. Everything I'm reading you is scriptural. But you won't find this written this way in the Bible. So I just want to kind of give you the big picture of Palm Sunday, okay? So some of this is from Matthew, some's from Mark, some's from Luke, some is from John. The news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Jesus is borrowing it. God is borrowing your donkey. What are you going to say? Are you nuts? I mean, that's probably what I would say. Unless God was already at work. This is intentional. He knows this conversation. The two disciples left and found the cult standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that cult? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. This took place to fulfill a prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a cult. Again, a preordained event. This was written in the scriptures a thousand years before the event happened. That, 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 you know, that, that cult would be there on this day at this time. This is just so amazing to me. It was set in motion before creation. 500 years prior. Since Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Zion was another name for Israel. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem, which is exactly what they're going to do. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. He's not riding on a stallion, dressed in armor. He's humble. He's, the king's coming in on a donkey. It's, it's all very weird. Right, sorry, riding on a donkey's colt. He's riding on the donkey's baby. <laughs> now, what adds credence to this, when Zechariah wrote that passage of Scripture 500 years earlier, there was no king. Israel was in bondage, in exiled in Babylon. There was no king. No king for him to write about that was going to ride in. This is a prophecy given to Zechariah about something that was going to happen in 500 years' time. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. So they didn't get it. But after Jesus entered his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Now, scooching forward, Texas word again. Next week, we, we go through Easter. After Jesus is resurrected, he meets with a couple of the disciples who are walking to a, a mass. 
And he goes to the scripture and explains to them what had been prophesied about him. So that's probably when it's like, ah, oh, that whole deal with the donkey and all that. Because that, that. I'm sure his disciples were thinking, okay, Jesus, a few days ago they were going to stone you in here. Now you're riding in on a donkey with people cheering. You're going to ride the donkey right down the valley, up the hill, through the gate of Jerusalem, and into the temple on a donkey. What is going on, Jesus? They read it afterwards. Oh, that's what it was. It says, many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. So these things are linked together. He waits for Lazarus to die. It's intentional. He tarries. Lazarus has been dead for four days. There's a whole bunch of people come out from Jerusalem. They see him raise Lazarus from the dead. Now he's coming into Jerusalem, and they're all out there. This is the guy that raises people from the dead. Let's go out and see him. The crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others' leafy branches, which they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. They are announcing Jesus as king. There's no question about it. So you can imagine how the Pharisees feel about this. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. I think that'd be more effective. Having a bunch of rocks cheering for Jesus. Rock on, Jesus! So he comes into Jerusalem. He goes into the temple. And the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. This is out of control. Look, everyone has gone after him. And so begins the Passion Week. Now, the timing and the details for, for this week are, are a little fuzzy in the, in the scriptures. But here's a rough timeline of, of Passion Week. Now, if I encourage you this week, pick a gospel each day and read through the events. Now, you might need two days for John because it gets into some pretty good detail in John. But go through the week with Jesus. So day one is this triumphal entry. And teaching in the temple. He goes right to the temple and starts teaching. Day two, comes back in. He goes out in the evening to Bethany to stay. He's probably staying at Lazarus and Mary and Martha's place. Day two, he comes back in teaching in the temp temple. Clearing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. Comes out at night. Day three, comes back in. Fig trees all withered. They all have a discussion about that. He goes out to the Mount of Olives, and there's a long discourse in the scripture about his teaching on the Mount of Olives in day three. Day four, Wednesday, it's quiet. There's nothing in the scripture about that day. Probably just spent it with his disciples, kind of meditating over what's going to happen, preparing them. Day five is the Passover, the Last Supper, and betrayal. 
that's Thursday night. Friday is Good Friday, the trial, the crucifixion, the death, and the burial. Day seven is morning. On the third day, next Sunday, is Resurrection Sunday. So there's your, your, your Passion Week kind of set out for you. There are conservatively a hundred, more than a hundred, messianic prophecies. That means prophecies in the Old Testament written 500 to 1,000 years before Jesus that point to the events of this week alone. Not the life of Jesus, just this week alone, a hundred prophecies. We, we read in one that he would ride into Jerusalem on the donkey that we just, just read. That he would be betrayed by a, a friend in Psalm 41. That the betrayal would be for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11. Might seem insignificant, but when Zechariah wrote that, the, the fee to release someone from slavery was 20 pieces of silver, not 30. Inflation, 500 years later, it's 30. So Zechariah writes something that doesn't make sense. Why, why 30? That the betrayal money would eventually be used to purchase the potter's field. So specific. That the sheep would be scattered, his disciples would be scattered. That they would lie when they arrest him. The method of his execution, if you read Psalm 22, this is a thousand years. It talks about how he is pierced, lifted up and pierced for our transgressions. This is a thousand years before crucifixion was a method of execution. Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my body. That his bones would not be broken on the cross, as in Psalm 34. That the sky would be darkened when he died, as in Amos 8. All of Isaiah 53. I read some of it last week. Just read it. There are so many. I mentioned it earlier. It's arguably the most intentional week in human history. Jesus intentionally allowed these prophecies to be fulfilled in him. He intentionally rode into Jerusalem. He intentionally allowed the, the events of this week to happen. He intentionally went to the cross. And when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, I believe that what Jesus was talking about was live intentionally. Don't have a passive Christianity. You know, just let's wait and see what happens. Don't have a passive spirituality. Be intentional about your faith. Be intentional about your Christianity. Be intentional about your spirituality. You know, I keep talking about a fully devoted follower of Christ, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Transform people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. Our mission statement. And we're all on this journey to be transformed into someone who is Christ-like. This fully devoted follower of Christ. But sometimes I think that, that when we think about this person, I don't know why he's always over there, but he is. I think sometimes when we think about this person that we're supposed to become, we paint a giant, a spiritual giant in our minds. That's who I've got to become. Ooh, wow. That's just, I don't think I'm ever going to make that. That's not what it is. God doesn't expect you to be something that you're not capable of being. 
He created you to be you, even in your brokenness. That, that fully devoted follower of Christ is broken. They're not a perfect person. They're a broken person. They're you. And he constantly calls us to get closer to what that person is. And for me, one of the things a fully devoted follower of Christ is someone who lives intentionally for Jesus in their brokenness. And you know the weird thing? It doesn't have to be difficult. 1 John 5, 3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Just think about this. Jesus' commandments. Love one another. Really? That is just unreasonable. Seriously? Don't kill. You've got to be kidding me. Who can live up to that? Be faithful to your wife. Really? (laughs) Forgive people. Hmm. Some of them are tough. You know, Jesus said, love your enemy. This is what I know. I'm a work in progress. I hate Bolton Wanderers fans right now, but that's nothing. (laughs) It's a work in, we are a work in progress, but we got to keep making progress. And that's an intentional thing. John 10.10, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I like that. Do you like that? Anybody want a rich and, let's see there. Anybody want a rich and satisfying life? Yeah, 50%. The rest of you just want misery, right? What's the deal? What's it come with? Is there a catch? (laughs) You know, it's okay to have fun with your faith. It's okay to have fun with your faith. It doesn't have to be misery all the time. It's supposed to be attractive. And intentionality. It's so funny because... You know, I planned this, this message, and on Tuesdays, actually it wasn't Tuesday, Friday I was talking to my friend in Florida, Chuck. Some of you have met Chuck, he used to be the associate pastor here. And I'd already written out about intentional, this message is going to be about being intentional. And he says, oh, so Terry and I have started being intentional. I'm like, whoa. He said, we, we, we've got this plan, that something that, that, that they want to do. They want to buy a house in a certain area in St. Petersburg or near St. Petersburg, and they want it to be a place for people to come. He said, but we started something intentional. I said, well, that's kind of neat. Tell me what you started, because I got this on my mind. He said, every week, we're going to go to the same coffee shop, we're going to go to the same restaurant, and we're going to go to the same pub in the area where they want to buy the house. And he said, we're going to the same coffee shop so that we can start making connections with people. If we go there every Tuesday at 10 o'clock, we're going to start meeting people. We're going to go to the same restaurant to start making connections with people. We're going to go to this pub. (gasps) Baptist? Pub? I love Jesus' first miracle. That's a whole other subject. (laughs) We're going to go to this pub just to start making connections. And and I just said, that's just awesome, Chuck. This Sunday, I'm going to talk about intentionality. There's a fun way to be intentional. And it's already begun. Terry, his wife, made a connection with a couple of girls there, got into a conversation even before they started this, got into a spirit-led conversation, has now met them for, for dinner one time. You can have fun with your faith. I used to meet Chuck 
Every Tuesday morning at IHOP when he lived here, many of you know this story. Tuesday, same time, same seat, same place, so we would have the same waitress. Got to know that waitress, Miriam. Many of you have met her. If you go into IHOP and you meet Miriam, you can say, are you Pastor Mike's Miriam? And she'll go, yes, I'm Pastor Mike's Miriam. She carries a little bit of paper with her name on it in her purse. It was come out of a box. We used to pray for people that didn't know Jesus. We had our box, and we used to pray for Miriam. I was there when Miriam got baptized. I was there when her daughter got baptized. Her sister got baptized. Partly because every Tuesday at 9 o'clock, we would sit in that seat and have breakfast, and we'd talk with Miriam, who was Jewish. Now, she's Christian. She's still Jewish, but she's Christian. Um, I, something I've just started doing. It's just, intentionally, it's just, I go to Tom Thumb on Thursdays, typically, now to work. You know, they've got a coffee shop in there, Starbucks, and they've got this place. It's already paying off because I was there a few weeks ago, and I see this man walk past me. I thought, I know that guy. And he came out again. Then he walked past me again. I thought, I know that guy. And eventually he came over to me and said, Pastor Mike? I said, yeah, it was John. Made that connection. And I said to John, where have you been, John? He said, we'll be there on Sunday. And he brought Noah, his grandson, back with him. So Thursdays, Tom Thumb, I just go there for coffee. I work there. There's a couple of guys that play chess. I listen to their conversation. <laughs> One of them's a pilot. It's just, you know, it's intentional. Now, I know so many of you are your busy lives, moms and dads with little kids, and you're thinking, I don't have time for that, Pastor Mike. But here's the question. What do you have time for? How can you be more intentional in your Christianity? I remember when our kids were little, and we'd go to sporting events, and Sandra would intentionally connect with some of the other parents. And every time she'd go there, she'd connect with one. Becky went, who was sitting right there, because Sandra and our son and her son went to the same sporting event. How can you live your life intentionally for Jesus and have some fun with it? Enjoy it. I mean, sitting at coffee is kind of good. Sitting at the pub making connections, I mean, I think that's ordained of God. But... So many people, I think they live in the fear of what God might do in their lives. If I completely surrender to God, what's he going to do in my life? It's kind of scary. I challenge you to begin living in the awe of what God wants to do in your life. What he wants to do through you. Jesus lived intentionally. And he calls his followers to live intentionally always. It's our response to his obedient ride into Jerusalem. Look, your king comes riding on a donkey. Look, your king comes to obediently go to his death on a cross. And you know, communion. If I can have those come forward, please. They're going to help with communion. To me, communion is one of the most ultimate ways that Jesus tells us that he wants us to live intentionally. What did he say to his disciples at the Last Supper? Do this 
Whenever you get together in remembrance of me. It was intentional. As you take communion this morning. At the beginning of this so significant week. We're going to have communion again on Good Friday. On Good Friday. But we're doing it here this morning. I want you to think about the intentionality of Jesus Christ. He allowed his body to be broken for us. He allowed his blood to be shed for us. And as you think about that and as you pray about it, I'd like you to pray how you can be more intentional for Jesus. We're going to do what we normally do with communion. We're going to invite you to come up Take the communion and take it back to your seat and we'll share together. I messed this up, didn't I? No, I didn't. Not good at math. All I know is four nothing. <laughs> Fortunate, fortunately, it's not bothering me. <laughs> Do you think that was unintentional? It was. <laughs> And you flip flop this. I know what that's all about. It must be a, God did that. There you go. Easter is about the final sacrifice. No more having to come to the priest and offer some money, offer a dove. Offer whatever it was for the priest to sacrifice for your favor. Jesus came and said, I'm the final sacrifice. To all who trust in me, all who believe that I die for their sins, to that person, there is eternal life. Easter in communion, we remember. He intentionally allowed his body to be broken. He intentionally shed his blood for us. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks. I thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you allowed him to come and be with us and walk with us. And Father, I thank you for the intentionality of his life that he didn't shy away from the path that you had him on. He got on that donkey. He rode in there as king, knowing to do so. He set in event, set in motion the events that would lead to his crucifixion, to his suffering, to his beating. He did it intentionally because he is so passionate about us. Father, we come to you. We confess that we are not worthy to be in your presence. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are made worthy. As we come to celebrate today, Father, I pray that you would just put in our hearts, in our minds, what it is that Jesus has done for us. And stir our spirits so that as we leave here today, we would seek to live intentionally for Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So.
we'll get two of you to go down there, please, each side. Please come forward, take communion, take it back to the seat. We'll share together in a moment. I don't know what it is. Every time I take communion, it seems so insignificant for such a great sacrifice. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is the new covenant in my name. Take and eat. It says he took the cup and shared it with his disciples. This is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Father, again, Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. You told us to intentionally do this whenever we get together. We don't do it whenever we get together. Please forgive that. But we do it today. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. Good Friday, our next service, 7 o'clock. It's going to be dark. It's going to be somber. Please come and be a part of that. Invite friends, family, and uh, we're going to have a time of reflection. We're going to have a time of repentance, and we're going to talk about what happened on that sorrowful day, Good Friday. And then we've got the Easter egg hunt on Saturday, sunrise service. At um, 7 a.m. Sun, I believe, comes up at 6.57 next Sunday. So we're going to have a service out on the lawn, weather permitting, as the sun comes up. And if weather doesn't permit, we'll have a little service in the foyer as the sun comes up. And then our Easter celebration of life at 10.30 next week, next Sunday. We have a tradition at Lakeway, whenever we share communion together, we take up what's called a benevolence offering. This is not our regular tithes and offerings. This is money that goes straight to people who are in need. Um, So there'll be somebody standing at the door, and if you're able to donate to that, please give generously. And uh, it's, it's just amazing how God always gives us the right amount of money for the people that come in. So thank him for that. Please stand. I want to pray God's blessing upon you that as you leave, you will be a blessing. Father, we give you thanks again for this coming week, for Passion Week. May we be passionate this week, Father, as we get into the scripture and read about what Jesus did. May we be passionate about our lives, about living for him intentionally. Father, I pray that you would pour out your blessings as we seek to be obedient to you. I pray it would be a blessing for us, that it would put a smile on our face. It wouldn't be a big, oh, no, I have to be this. Father, that we would love living intentionally for you. Bless us so that we may be a blessing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Thank you all for being here.